You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. We're, uh, we're starting a new series today called The Future is Family. The Future is Family. The future is not male or female. It is as God designed it, where the two become one. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a shame, but it's no surprise that, that we as a church need to speak into this because we've had years and years and years of seeing TV shows with buffoons as dad, and they always make fun of it, and they, they put down the father. And so it's no wonder that the, the, the family picture, what a family is supposed to be, is, is in so much question in the world. But thank God it's not in question in the church. We stand on his definition of family and marriage then there's another, there's another resurgent evil that's sneaking up, that's poking its head in again in the form of socialism. And uh, gen- every generation has to deal with this, this agenda, this socialistic agenda, culture of socialism, which seeks to tear the family apart and replace it with the government. And let me just tell you, the government is not the model family. It's not what the government is designed for. And if you don't believe me, you can just look at a recent uh, election over for the governorship of Virginia, where a, a, a governor, a gubernatorial candidate, uh, in leading up to the election, he, he said, uh, parents, just let the government raise your kids. You don't need to raise your own kids. The government knows best. Well, he lost that election in a landslide. Thank you, Jesus. Because the government does not know what's best for your kids. You, with the help of him, know what's best for your kids. Amen. So we're going to rebuild the idea of a godly family in this culture, in this environment. The, uh, the title of my message today is Radiant Bride. Radiant Bride. Like the Song of Songs, which I read at the beginning, Jesus' picture of his radiant bride that is the model. That's what we look at when we, when we think about our life and our families and the future is family. And I thought this would be a good, a good time to, to show you all a picture of my radiant bride. So uh, this is from our wedding 13 years ago this July. My radiant bride. From, from the beginning, that smile would just get me every time. The radiant smile, her love for life. And, um, and truly, it's, a, it's been a blessing over these almost 13 years as husband and wife to, to get to be beside you and see that smile every day. And it, it is truly every day. 95% of the time, she's happy. <laughs> and that 5% is when she's tired or hungry. But who can blame her? Who can blame her? This, uh, and that is Pastor Jurgen there as well. We had... Uh, the honor of having him officiate for us. And th- this venue is at um, the Marriott downtown right next to the convention center. And the timing was kind of incredible. Like it just worked out that there was this one date in July that was still available for the wedding. So we're like, yes, we'll take it. And then we asked, oh, like, why is it available? And they're like, oh, because that's Comic-Con weekend. And so right next to the hotel, the convention center with all the comic book characters, everything coming in like a flood. Um, we couldn't even we couldn't even find space in the hotel there for our fans friends and family so we had to to uh, get space for them in Mission Valley and then bust them all down but we had a blast we had so much fun we got some cool pictures uh, with some comic book characters as well 
She is my Wonder Woman, and I'm her Superman. Which one's me? Yeah. Can't you tell? I want to talk about the purpose of the family today. In Matthew 22, we find the parable of the wedding feast where the king has prepared a banquet for his son. And he sent his servants to invite guests. And, and many of the guests ignore the invitation or say, I'm busy, I have other things to do. Some of the guests even murder the servants that God has sent. And so the king is so angry, he sends his armies to destroy those murderers. And then he sends servants out again and, and says, just go into the streets, go anywhere and find people, invite people in, good or bad, it doesn't matter. Just bring them in so that my feast for my son will be full. And we pick up in Matthew 22, verse 11 to 13. But when the king came to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. The king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, that's a serious dress code. Dress code violation. I mean, I didn't see in the invitation, like, this is what you're supposed to wear. These people just came into the streets inviting everybody and said, sure, I'll come. But it's, it's significant. It's important that what these people are wearing to the wedding is specific. And so we're going to take a look at that in a minute. But before we get there, I want to talk about some of the members, the members of the family. In, uh, in John 3.29, John the Baptist is talking about Jesus as the bridegroom, and he says this, the one who gets the bride is by definition the bridegroom, and the bridegroom's friend, his best man, that's me, in, his, in place at his side where he can hear every word is genuinely happy. How could he be jealous when he knows that the wedding is finished and the marriage is off to a good start? That's why my cup is running over. John the Baptist was sent as a, as a prophet to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And when he saw Jesus coming, he knew that that was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth to bring the marriage to pass, to, to, to unite God with his chosen people, with his family. And so John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, something jumps in his spirit and he knows, like, yes, finally, this is the bridegroom. This is the one who I've been preparing the way for. And when he sees the potential of the, the marriage relationship, he says, my cup is running over. Like, I have fulfilled my purpose and my calling on this earth. Now, it's very interesting. In, in ancient cultures, whenever a betrothal happens, an engagement happens, the, the husband or the father of the husband will, will give a dowry to the bride or the bride's father. And in the Bible, this is called a bride price, that they would pay the bride price for the engagement, for the marriage to, to happen, to come together. When Jesus was sent by his heavenly father to come to wherever we are, from, from 2,000 years ago till now, till, till when he comes back, Jesus is coming, like we prayed earlier, to, work, to meet us, to encounter us wherever we are. He's making that journey, and he doesn't come in empty-handed. He knows that if he's the bridegroom, that he has to pay a price, that he has to pay, and in the Bible, the word is mohar, he has to pay this dowry to, to be betrothed, to be engaged to the, to the bride. 
And the price that Jesus has paid is the greatest price that anyone could pay, that he gave his life as a sacrifice. He gave his life as the bride price to be joined to us, to, to come together in marriage with his bride. And when we look in Ephesians 5, 25, it, it tells us why. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, we as the bride could not prepare ourselves properly for Jesus being perfect on our own. We are completely incapable of preparing ourselves in the way that he was ready to receive. In order to have a, a bride without wrinkle or stain or blemish, he had to cover us. He had to provide the clothing for us. He had to provide the garment that we would wear to be his bride. Because we are the bride of Christ. We are to be washed, we are to be clean, we are to be radiant, and we can't do that on our own. You see, salvation is just the beginning. Salvation is the beginning of the marriage with Christ. You see, when the, the bridegroom comes from a long way off and he comes to the bride, the bride just needs to receive him, needs to receive the bridegroom. And in ancient cultures, it's a little bit different from us now. You see, Lisa and I dated for a year, and then we got engaged. And then after seven months, we were married. And, and on our wedding day, you know, we signed a certificate saying that we are now husband and wife legally. It was a legally binding agreement. But in, in the ancient Eastern culture, the agreement, the legally binding process happened at the beginning of the betrothal. It was the start. When, when the two came together, the bride and the bridegroom came together, in that moment, in the betrothal, in the paying of the dowry, the agreement is made. And so from that point, which was typically one year before the actual wedding feast occurred, there was a period of waiting where the bride and the bridegroom were not together. They, he went back to his home, and the bride, the bride stayed where she was, but they were legally binded in marriage. And why that's so important is because it's a picture of what Jesus has done, that he came from his heavenly home to, to be betrothed to us. And so whenever we call on the name of Jesus, whenever we believe in, he, in our heart that he is Lord and Savior, that we're legally connected to him. We're legally engaged to him. And, and why that's so important is this, because Jesus died on a cross, and, and you'd think, okay, well, if there's a betrothal, if there's an engagement and one person dies, then I guess the wedding is off. In the natural, yes, but not in God's kingdom because the agreement has already been made. Jesus has already paid the price for us, so we're already in his family, and we're just waiting now for the wedding day. We're waiting now for him to come back. And we see this in Revelation 19. It says this, let us rejoice and shout for joy, exulting and triumphant. Let us celebrate and ascribe him glory and honor for the marriage of the lamb has at last come and his bride has prepared herself. She has permitted, she's been permitted to dress in fine radiant linen, dazzling and white for the fine linen is signifies, represents the righteousness, the upright, just and godly living deeds and conduct and right standing 
with God, of the saints, God's holy people. I love the Amplified here because it adds so much context to the words. When you read it and then it explains it and it brings out the root of words, you just see so much is unpacked here. That, that we are the righteousness of Jesus Christ because he has provided the covering for us. That the wedding attire that, that the man in the first scripture was missing was what was provided by Jesus. See, the invitation was given, but it's only through a belief in the heart that you can be made right with God. So each one of us, we can respond to the invitation, but do we believe? Do we believe that he is the son of God? Do we believe that he is our Lord and Savior? Then we respond with the confession of our mouth and we are saved. But the belief in the heart is what was missing because without the belief, there is no fine linen. There is no righteousness. There is no covering that we can put on to make ourselves ready for our, our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And that's why every now and then I feel like it's good to dress up for church. You know, put on your, put on your Sunday best, as they say. Because you never know when you're going to be invited to a wedding. And you don't want to be caught wearing the wrong thing. You see, I believe that every single week in church is an engagement. Every single week in church, somebody gets betrothed, somebody gets engaged to their heavenly father to be a part of his family. So I want to participate in every single wedding, every single marriage, every single time somebody comes into the kingdom of God and makes that covenant commit with him to be a part of his family. I'm excited to be a part of that process. And there are some things that we can do. There's some ways that, that we can prepare ourselves in the natural. As it says, you know, we can, godly living, having good deeds, conduct. And there's, there's a person in the Bible that kind of typifies this in Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 30. And most of us have heard this passage of scripture talking about the wife of noble character. And it's actually, it's, this scripture from 10 to 31 is an acrostic poem, which means that every line from 10 to 31 starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then it goes successively down from there. So this, this picture is actually the A to Z of how to be a perfect bride, the A to Z of how to be a wife of noble character, capable, intelligent, virtuous, trustworthy, comforts, encourages, and does only good and not evil, works willingly, trades, provides, delegates, invests, spiritually, mentally, and physically fit, prepared for whatever lies ahead, skilled in many ways and earns incomes, generous to the poor, provides food and clothing, strong, dignified, is not idle, prophetic, speaks wisdom and kindness and counsel, knows the state of her household, blessed and praised by her family. Who is this Mary Poppins? Does she even exist? How can any one person fulfill all of these things? It's kind of crazy. It's kind of like just trying to be like Jesus. It seems impossible. Well, I've got a little secret that I'm going to share, especially for all you ladies. Maybe you can breathe a sigh of relief. You're not supposed to fill all this on your own. There is no one person who can do all of these things, be this Mary Poppins, be this person by themselves. We as the bride of Christ, we as his radiant bride are supposed to fulfill this. Each and every one of us has a part to play. That when we all come together, we can be the wife of noble character. We can be the bride of Christ. We can prepare ourselves by doing all of these things to make ourselves ready for that wedding, ready for that day. It's the whole bride of Christ. It's the church that we can prepare. And if we look at verse 30 and we pray, replace wife with church, we can see how this applies. Charm and grace are deceptive and superficial beauty is vain. But a church who fears the Lord, reverently worshiping, obeying, serving, and trusting him with awe-filled respect, she shall be praised. She shall be praised. 
So the future is family. We know who the bridegroom is. We know that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. But for there to be a family, there's, there's the father, there's the mother, and then there's the children that make the family. So who are the children in this picture? Well, the children is really the church fulfilling the Great Commission, going into all the world and making disciples, new disciples, people that will accept Jesus Christ and then live their life to honor him, live their life in a way that, that represents his goodness. And there's a special place in the heart of God for these new believers, new Christians, new disciples. We see in Matthew 18.10, and this is the message version. Watch that you don't treat a single one of these childlike believers arrogantly. You realize, don't you, that their personal angels are constantly in touch with my Father in heaven. Well, isn't that cool? New believers have these personal angels that are constantly in touch with Father in heaven. Kind of cool and kind of scary at the same time. I hope my angels were good at distracting God whenever I was messing up. When I first came to him, I know it wasn't an easy journey. So maybe they could just make a little distraction over here. Like, oh, God, what's this? Like a little bit of covering. We all need the grace. We all need the help. So, but uh, isn't it cool to know that we have personal angels? We have personal angels that are helping us, that are guiding us, that are encouraging us. And especially for these new believers, because this seed of faith, faith is, so, is so nascent. It's so new in their life. And we as the church are supposed to cultivate it. We're supposed to water it. We're supposed to feed and encourage this faith. And in Mark 10, 13, Jesus even says, people were bringing little t- children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. We'll never enter in it. We have to have the faith of a child when we come to God. And like Stan was saying in, in his tithe message, you know, when we raise up our kids, you know, we, we believe the best for them. We train them the best that, that we know how. And with God's grace, the things that they have learned, they will not depart from it that they will continue to walk in that faith. And the same goes for new believers, that we as the church need to train up. We need to equip. We need to encourage these new believers in the faith, that childlike faith. We never, we never need to be the people that, that say, oh, you know, like a child is dreaming for the stars. They're dreaming about all these things. And, and like, oh, well, somebody needs to bring them back down to reality. You know, see, somebody needs to tell them, well, that's not the way the world works. Well, who cares if it's not the way the world works? We live in a different world. We live in a different place. We have to believe with that childlike faith that the impossible becomes possible. We have to speak into existence the things that we can't see with our natural eyes. Children can do it. Where along the way do we convince ourselves that we can't? We need to have that childlike faith. We need to recognize the childlike faith was so important to Jesus. He said, do not prevent them from coming to me. Because the impact of new believers is significant. New Christians do have an assignment. 1 Peter 2, 1 to 3 says, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. You do have to put the old ways behind you as a new believer. But like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. It means listen to, to the teachers, listen to your elders, listen to wisdom and counsel from people that are in the faith that want to encourage you and lift you up. 
so that, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, that you can start to eat meat, chew on the more difficult problems of life, chew more on the more difficult things in the Bible. There's, there's many, many things in the Bible that are so simple, so easy to, to digest, like a baby receives milk. And there's many things that are challenging. There's many things that are, that are hard. And maybe it takes, takes several times of you reading it, several times of you seeing it walked out in your life for you to really understand it. But keep doing that. Drink the milk first. Get the understanding first. And then begin to chew. Begin to eat the solid food. Begin to grow in advance. Because you do have an impact. If you are a new believer, even if you've said today that prayer that we prayed, or, or as we sang that song, you received Jesus Christ into your life, you have power. In Psalm 8-2, it says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Even the newest Christian has power over the devil. Anybody who has called on the name of Jesus has access to that power can say no to the devil, can resist the devil, and watch him scamper off to like the little dog that he is. Actually, that's, that's detrimental to dogs. He's far worse than that. But he will flee from you if you resist him. Now we begin to see a picture of what God's family looks like. We see the bridegroom as the head of the house. We see the bride of Christ. That's who we are. And we see the new believers, the children, that are coming into that family. But... Maybe today, your situation, your life, you can't exactly relate to that, that model biblical family. Maybe there's, maybe there's been divorce in your life. Me too. Maybe there's been a separation. Maybe you're, you're far from your kids or you're far from your parents. Maybe your brother and sister is estranged. Maybe there's, there's somebody in your life who, who's not walking with God Maybe you can't look at your natural family right now and, and connect the dots to that model family. But something interesting I found is that when you, when you read the Bible and you try and find a picture of a model biblical family, it's not that easy. Adam and Eve, their oldest son murdered their next son. Noah, his second son, uncovered his, his nakedness and he brought a curse on the family, or on, on himself. Abraham tried to pass off Sarah, his wife, as his sister twice. Jacob was tricked into marrying two sisters. Not a good situation. David murdered a guy just to get his wife. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That is not a model family. Even Jesus, even Jesus' family had some questions about his age when he was born. Somebody would come up to Mary and Joseph and say, oh, how long have you been married? Oh, that's nice. Wait, how old is Jesus again? Huh doesn't exactly line up. And then after the age of 12, there's no mention of Joseph, Jesus' dad, in the Bible. What happened to him? We don't know. See, the Bible is filled with stories of broken families. But if you'll let him, even if you have a broken family, and I would say especially if you have a broken family, God can bring restoration just like he's done for all of these families in the Bible. That there is no family that is too broken. There is no family that is too far gone. There is no situation that God can't redeem. He's proved it over and over and over again. Will you let him prove it in your life today? Will you let him start the process with you to bring restoration into your family? Maybe there's situations that, that you just can't come back together. And that's okay. Because God's grace is sufficient to cover that. 
even if you don't have a husband, even if you don't have a wife, even if you don't have kids, God can show you how to be his family, the godly family right now, that you don't have to wait for some day by and by. You don't have to wait until you get married. You don't have to wait until you have kids to be a part of God's model family. And so what I want to do today as we close is I want to give each one of us an opportunity to find restoration. If there's anything in your life that you feel like is broken, that, that you don't feel like you're living out the godly model of what a family should be. If you look at your future and, and you're thinking, how is the future family? My family is so broken. It's so far from God. There's no way that's a good future. Well, God is going to start that process today to restore you, to restore in your spirit, in your heart, his model family, what he means. So can we all do this? Can we all stand up today? I, I want to close and I want to pray for some people. If that's you today, if that resonated with you and, and you know that there's some brokenness in your life, you know that there's some brokenness in your family, then I want to believe with you that there's restoration that's happening right here, right now. And what I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to, we're going to close with a song. I'm going to ask you to, to get out of your seat and come down to the altar. I'm going to invite the ministry team down to the front. I'm going to pray a corporate prayer over everybody. And if there's anything specifically in your heart, any way that you, you know that there's brokenness and, you, and you're believing for healing today, then I want to invite you to come down and receive prayer. And why that's so important is, is that if you stay where you are, if you stay in your seat, then you're in danger of staying where you are. That, but when you can shift, when you can take that step of faith, when you can come down to the altar, it's a physical act that's, that's a symbol of your faith in action. It's a physical act, but it has spiritual consequences. That you're putting your faith with your works together. You're stepping out of that place. You're getting out of where you are. You're leaving that situation behind. And you're coming to God's altar. You're coming to the place of transformation. You're coming to the place of grace. You're coming to the place of forgiveness. So why don't we do that right now? If that's you, please come on down to the front. I'll invite the ministry team to come down. If you know that you need restoration, if there's brokenness in your history, maybe a generational curse, maybe you're, you're estranged from a loved one, maybe there's, there's healing that needs to happen, maybe you know that there's somebody that you need to forgive or somebody that you're praying will forgive you for something you've done, then I want to invite you down to the altar. You can fan out, spread out all on the sides. Just come down to the altar. God is going to do something powerful in your life today. And if, if you know that's you today, if you know there's unforgiveness in your heart, would you just place your hand over your heart wherever you're at? Just place your hand over your heart. God, I thank you for forgiveness, that you first sent your son to forgive us of our sins, that we repent of our sins right now, God, we thank you for your grace that it's sufficient to cover us. And right now, we release forgiveness. We release forgiveness for anyone who has offended us, anyone who has harmed us, anyone who has left us, anyone who has put us in a situation that made us vulnerable, anybody who has uncovered us, anybody who has laughed at us, anybody who has scolded us, anybody who we haven't forgiven. God, I thank you that there's a release of forgiveness right now that as we freely give, we shall freely receive. God, I thank you that your grace is sufficient right now for all of us here, that as we forgive, that we receive your blessing of grace. We receive your blessing of joy. We receive that covenant relationship. God, I thank you that you are the bridegroom, that your son that you sent 
to come into a relationship with us so that none would perish. That's your will, that none would perish, but everyone would have access to eternal life. We thank you for the wedding garment that you prepared for us, this, this white garment that's prepared for us for the wedding feast that's beautiful, that's radiant, that reflects your glory, God. We thank you that, that it's not by our righteousness that we are able to put this on. It's, it's by your righteousness that you have given the, this gift to us. When you paid the price, when you died for our sins, you, you made that available to all of us. You made that garment available to anybody, anybody who believes with faith in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that they are putting on that garment right now, that we are ready for that wedding feast that is coming. We thank you for the time right now where we can, we can spend this time to, to go out into all the world and, and, and find people who don't yet know the truth of your love, who don't yet know you, and we can introduce them to you. We can be that invitation. We can be the hands and feet. We can bring them to church. We can bring these guys to emerge. We can take ladies to, to prayer. We can do the things that, that we can do to make room for you to do the things that only you can do. So why don't we sing this right, song right now again? We're going we're gonna to make room for God to move. We're going to see some powerful shift. And for all of those people on the altar, just as you're, as you're waiting to receive prayer, just begin to, begin to open up your heart, every chamber of your heart. Let God come in and do what he can do today. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.